Welcome to another episode of the Neon Belly. This episode, I wanted to talk about heel hooks as well as some tips on how to study tape, how to study rolling footage, how to study competition footage if you aren't used to doing that yet. So the first thing that I really wanted to talk about, I had sort of touched on on the last episode, I had asked people whether or not they had uh, any strong feelings about heel hooks at their academy as far as recreational players are concerned, non-professional grapplers, non-full-time players, and just whether or not your academies, your schools allowed it, and if so, what were the criteria, if any, or if they just outright didn't allow it. All of this sort of came about because I saw a video posted by Andrew Wiltsey earlier this month in April. Now, if you don't know who Andrew Wiltsey is, he's a super awesome athlete out of uh, the Daisy Fresh crew, Heath Pettigo, all of those guys. And his game is really, really fun to watch. He's really known for almost having kind of like a Marcelo Garcia style. I think he's highly influenced by Marcelo. He's got like a lot of really vicious knee slice passing and back takes, rear naked chokes, a lot of awesome seated guard. And he uses a lot of leg entanglements to sweep but he doesn't necessarily use a lot to heel hook. So he posted a video. I'll link link the video in the description of this episode. But he posted a video earlier this month where he, it's the title is something like, have I gone to the dark side? Something like that. And it's basically just rolling footage of him just ripping, not ripping in a bad way, but just catching a lot of awesome heel hooks in the gym. And He's doing like very basic but really slick entries for the out classic outside heel hook and then entries into the saddle, cross ashi, whatever you want to call it, honey hole, 411 position, and hitting inside heel hooks. And there was a commenter on the video that was saying, I, honestly, at a certain point, I thought this person might just be trolling. Uh, the comment's still probably up on the video if you watch it. And it's worth watching just for the rolling footage alone. But if you scroll down in the comments, you'll probably see comments from somebody that's saying heel hooks are objectively just dangerous for anybody to use that are not a full-time professional athlete. And that, you know, it's immoral or not cool for Andrew to be doing heel hooks against recreational players and that recreational players shouldn't be encouraged to ever do heel hooks under any circumstances. And I think they even likened the, uh, they even likened heel hooks to eye gouges at one point, which is where I started to think it might be like a troll post. But regardless, it sort of got me thinking because I've been in a situation since about 2015 where I've just been very lucky, I would say, to be around a lot of really good heel hook stuff kind of ahead of time. So without dropping any names, there were a couple of people I got to train with both from the East Coast and the West Coast in the early eras of like the Danaher Death Squad, the DDS team, where um, some of these guys moved to North Carolina and had trained with... um, Henzo Gracie, John Danaher affiliated black belts on both sides of the country, and they were able to share um, at our school some really cool 
uh, heel hook knowledge early on. So we kind of got a leg up, no pun intended, on some of the heel hook stuff. And early on, it was really emphasized like, hey, this is kind of a new school way of attacking and finishing heel hooks. And we're going to focus a lot on pinning the hips to the floor, truly isolating the leg, making it difficult for our training partners or our opponents to accidentally twist out and hurt themselves even if they wanted to and keep it just very controlled and safe and not leave a lot of wiggle room for either party and almost treating it like I'm sure anybody that's listening to this has heard the term position before submission so it was kind of like a new way of thinking about position before submission but for lower body subs instead of upper body subs most people probably know this, so I'll, I'll just skip right ahead and say we had a 0% injury track record on heel hooks, um, and I have trained at three academies since 2015 with some moving and stuff that I've done, and I have visited a fourth academy very regularly over the past couple of years, and they allow heel hooks, uh, I believe for blue belt and up, the... Um, and the places I've trained in the last few years have either allowed them in no gi for everyone. And there's one place I've even trained that has allowed them even in the gi where honestly they aren't used that much at that at that school in the gi. But they are open table if everyone's communicating with each other. And I've only seen one heel hook injury in practice my whole life. And it was like way back in 2010 before anybody was doing new school heel hook stuff and somebody just turned the wrong way when they had a fully uh, dug in heel hook on them and they hurt their own. I don't know if it was their knee or their ankle, honestly, but I do remember they injured themselves, but that's really the only one I've seen. And I just, I don't know. I know that's anecdotal evidence, but obviously I pay attention to the scene and I keep up with what's going on and I just don't see an epidemic of you know, people getting their legs blown off uh, in practice, as long as they're at a school where there is good leg lock knowledge, good education of, you know, how to properly heel hook and how to properly apply these submissions. So I just kind of wanted to feel the question out there. Like, am I, am I crazy? I, I don't know. I train with heel hooks every single nogi session that I do. And even if I don't use heel hooks, um, they're not the biggest part of my game. They're a bigger part than most people listening would probably think they are. But I always at least love for people to try to go for them against me. And at this point, I actually like to extend my legs and sort of bait some leg entanglements and heel hook attempts in order to either pass the guard or take the back. So like I really, really love playing the leg game with people, even if I'm not trying to finish the legs myself. So I don't know. I kind of get lost in the world and I'm also more into no gi these days than gi. So I just wanted to get sort of a better idea for, you know, what is the scene like for other people out there that, that are training and are they doing as many heel hooks as I think they are? It just, I, and I don't know, you know, when I watch the competitive scene these days at ADCC trials, it really seems like Heel hooks have just become fully integrated into the sport. They aren't some magic bullet where, you know, if you spam them, you can definitely win. And I'm not seeing as much 
uh, double butt scooting and people, you know, just playing their footsie game and all of that. I'm seeing the leg locks just fully incorporated these days. Like it's just like an arm bar or a Kimura or a guillotine or a rear naked choke. It's just another movement in the sport. And it just seems like it's been, been fully incorporated, which is how I think it should be. I think that's really awesome. And I'm just hoping that that's starting to trickle down out of the pro scene into the uh, more recreational scene. So I fully disagree with the person, with all due respect, in Andrew Wiltsey's comments. Uh, I think that, if anything, Andrew was setting a pretty cool example of how you can roll with total control with heel hooks and not hurt anybody. And so even somebody like Andrew that's not necessarily a famous heel hooker is able to play a really effective heel hook game, even when it's not their A game against people that aren't professional grapplers and still keep it very safe. So anyways, I thought it'd be cool to link that video and just see if anybody had thoughts on that. I did want to give one quick tip because this does drive me a little bit crazy. There's one thing that I think everybody can do to get heel hooked a whole lot less. It's depressing how little I see it at the recreational hobbyist enthusiast level and even sometimes still I don't see it at the professional level and that is the ballerina foot if you don't know what I'm talking about it's easy to YouTube I'll try to link another video in the description just to hit everyone with as many links as possible but basically if you're home or in a position right now where you can just extend your foot like a ballerina if you just do that while you are inside any of the major leg control positions, if somebody has you in single leg X or straight Ashi or outside Ashi, cross Ashi, whatever, saddle, if 50-50, if you know someone's attacking a heel hook and you keep a ballerina foot, you're going to make your foot from being like, it's the opposite of putting on a boot. To defend a straight ankle lock when you do that your foot goes like 90 degrees to your shin or your ankle and when you extend your toes all the way and almost try to curl them like you're trying to make a, a fist with your toes and round out the bottom of your foot it's like a ballerina foot and when you do this it hides your heel it makes the profile of your heel much smaller and much more difficult for the attacker to get a full bite on so if you just do nothing but that posture alone and you don't focus on getting your hips higher than your opponents clearing the knee line hand fighting um, doing the turnout escape keeping the knee inside the line of uh, your foot to your hip or outside depending on whether they're going for inside heel hook or outside heel hook even if you do nothing but the ballerina foot, I guarantee you, you will automatically get heel hooked much less at your very first next training session than you did the week before. So I'll put a link in there to the ballerina foot. That kind of sums up what I wanted to talk about on heel hooks. And the second part of the podcast that I wanted to talk about today was how to study tape, how to study 
I mean, you know, right? People say tape, but like these days, everything's streaming. But the term is still used a lot in sports. Like, oh, we're going to study tape today. We're going to watch watch tape today, watch film. I've seen a lot of talk on what's better, instructionals, watching rolling footage. People have different opinions. I've noticed a lot of upper belts tend to like rolling footage and narrated rolling footage. I like watching rolling footage a lot and competition footage a lot. And I've gotten messages from people and I've just read a lot of comments that are sort of like, I don't know how to do that. Do you have any tips for how to do that? So I wanted to give a few of those here. There are a few ways of breaking down tape and watching footage, whether it's competition or rolling footage. I think more importantly than the method that you use is that you just pick one and do it. So as long as you just kind of pick a trail and go down it, that's better than trying to do too much because at first it's super, super overwhelming. So to start even earlier than that, if you're sort of mentally thinking, all right, where do I even get started? I've never studied rolling footage before. I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't even know what my game is. If you don't know what your game is, um, I would pick uh, somebody to watch that you either like to watch already. You've seen a couple of matches from them. You find them entertaining. That could be a good a good springboard point. Maybe somebody, a name you've heard. Maybe somebody that has a similar weight and height as you. So, you know, if if you're like a female middleweight, you know, you could look up people in that category that are good performers. If you're a male featherweight, you could look up people that are good performers in that category and and watch them. Or if you know somebody has a movement in particular that you really, really like or really, really want to be good at. So if you gravitate towards a knee slice pass or you really like the knee slice pass, you could watch Lucas Lepre. Great example, probably the best knee slide pass ever. If you're a little bit bigger and you like the knee slice pass, you could watch Hamilo Bahal, another one of the best knee slice passers ever. You get the idea. So once you kind of pick somebody that you want to watch, there are three things to keep in mind. With any technique that you watch, there's basically going to be three versions of it. How it looks when it's demonstrated and like in front of a class where there's no resistance, how it looks in the practice room when there's pressure and resistance, but there's likely still going to be a skill gap between the person you're watching doing it and the person they're doing it to. So it's, it's going to be pressure tested. And then competition where it's sort of the most pressure tested. And on each one of those levels, the quality of the technique is going to fall just a little bit. And that's that's perfectly normal, right? Like in any other sport, um, an uncontested jump shot just doesn't always look the same as a contested jump shot. You, you get the analogy. But you'll start to notice trends. Like if you're looking at a butterfly sweep, a butterfly sweep in the practice room is going to look a certain way and under competition it might look slightly different when everybody has more of their 
athletic attributes on the line, their flexibility, their strength, their size. But it's it the little imperfections that make it not as sharp as it was in the practice room are going to be consistent. And you're going to notice the same things happen that require a little bit more um, for a little bit more mustard to have to be put on that movement in order to get it to complete. So just keep in mind there's different uh, there's different ways of movement is going to look. So that's why I would recommend watching a little bit of all three. You know, if you've seen a, a movement done on a technique video, that's a great starting point. But then watching it and rolling to see how it looks under pressure is great. Watching it in competition is great as well. There's not going to be as many competition examples in some cases depending on who makes rolling footage of themselves available or not. In the cases where there's a lot of rolling footage available of a certain athlete, I really like that the best because I think it's a good mix of how the technique can look sort of in perfect form and how it looks under the most possible stress. So I think that's a good way to split the difference. Also, I like watching rolling footage because people are usually a little more comfortable in the gym opening up and playing some different things than they normally would. Um, Whereas in a competition, they might just play their super strict A game, which is going to be a way more limited move set. So overall, a couple of ways to study tape. One thing I would do is I would not try to process what everybody is doing all at once. So if you're watching a five minute roll, I would pick one thing to watch in that roll first. So it could be guard play or passing play, right? So if, if I'm just going to use Craig Jones as an example, because he's got rolling footage basically uploaded every day and that I want to keep throwing out different names every time I use an example. But if you want to watch Craig Jones's guard, you can skip on these roles anytime you see him play in top game or vice versa or you could get a little bit more myopic and say I want to finish more rear naked chokes or more submissions from the back so I'll just skip to the points where I see Craig Jones on the back and you then you can just watch those sections so I think early on that is a good way to watch and break down footage without feeling as overwhelmed because you aren't having to pay attention to everything. You're just learning how to kind of pay attention to one thing at a time. And then as you start to learn what good, you know, back control looks like, back finishes, you know, good passing over here, guard play over here, then you can kind of start to bridge the gaps and learn some of the transitional positions and scramble positions in between and in any of these given positions one great thing you can do is pause the video and just take a look at hands head hips and feet so three h's and an f what are their hands doing where are their hands same with their hips same with their head same with the feet so if someone's playing butterfly guard and 
if you can pick all this up in motion, that's great. But early on, that might be a little bit difficult. So I would just suggest either pausing or maybe splitting the difference right and checking it out at like 50% speed. On YouTube, there's an icon in the bottom right corner, a gear looking icon where you can click it and you can choose to watch it at 50% speed. So watch the movement that you're looking at. If it's like a butterfly sweep or a hip heist or something from Butterfly Guard, and you can just kind of pause it at any given point and just start at the feet and work your way up. Like, okay, where are the feet? Are the feet inside of the top player's legs and knees? Okay, the feet have inside position. Okay, great. Now let me work my way up with the hips. Are the hips lower? Okay, and then you kind of just start to think a little bit or you start to notice some trends, All right? When the hips are below the guard passer's hips, I'm seeing more hook sweeps. I really don't want to say sumageshi, but I know that some people listening to this probably probably say that. So um, sumageshi, whatever, hooks, butterfly hook sweep, I'm seeing some of those happen when the hips are below. You may be watching at other times and you're seeing the hips higher than the opponents. In those situations, you're probably going to see like snap downs into front headlocks or, you know, heisting up onto kimuras, hip heisting up and then falling back onto triangles um, or omoplatas. And then you start to get a feel for like how a guard works that way. You're like, okay, well, you know, yeah, with butterfly guard, I'm seeing hook sweeps or elevations and going underneath to attack the legs. Or I'm seeing the hips elevate and, you know, the guard player starts attacking the head or the arm and then working the way up to the hands. You know, you can pause it again or 50% speed and watch the hands. Are the hands hand fighting? You know, are, are they not letting the top player get grips onto their hands or do they not really care? It could go either way. Are they establishing underhooks? Are they getting inside position? Or are they, uh, are they collar tying, you know, are they, are they comfortable playing overhooks from the butterfly guard? And you can just start to look at these trends. The last thing is kind of the head. Where's the head height? You know, if it's butterfly guard generally, and you're seeing somebody that wants to retain guard, their head is probably, they're probably going to be keeping their head below the guard passer's head, um, in most cases, unless they're doing an attack. So you, you just start to notice different trends. And this can just be like a great way to help you understand certain guards. You know, if, if you just don't know how a certain position works, not even just a guard, but passes, whatever, you could just start watching those passes in rolling footage and just start rewinding the footage, watching it slow, rewinding it again, maybe pausing it here and there, rewinding it again, and then you know, you can start to do it full speed and you'll just start to be more comfortable with that. Okay. I'm watching, you know, Craig Jones pass. All right. Is, is he kneeling? You know, again, heads, hand, hips, and feet. Or is he on both feet or, or is he kneeling? Okay. He's kneeling. The hips are lower. All right. What are his hands doing? They're locked around the body. Okay. So, so body lock pass. It's not like a standing footwork pass. You know, where's the head? Is it Oh, I'm noticing on this body lock pass, the head is moving from one side of the body across to the other. And that's how the guard passer on this body lock pass is clearing the knees 
and creating pressure across the body to keep the opponent flat because the head's moving across the body. Okay, and then you just start to notice some general trends. Um, you start to notice some general trends, and then you're still getting that active resistance from the other player, and you start to see like the little tips and tricks that the athlete is doing in order to make the technique work under pressure. So that's one rubric that I really like to follow is just paying attention to what each key part of the body is doing while any given movement is going on. And then after a while, after you really get used to watching tape and rolling footage and stuff, you can kind of start to predict things a little bit or kind of start to feel what's going to happen. You start to see trends. You're like, oh, okay, well, when I usually see this person grapple and their hips are at this position, you know, they tend to hit this pass. And then those are intuitions and and ideas that you can take back to your game and start to implement. And I would highly suggest everybody recording their own roles as much as they can, at least maybe once a month. It's not always the easiest thing to do, depending where you train. Some people aren't comfortable being filmed, especially if they think it's going to come out on YouTube or something like that. But if you can work to build a culture at your school or among your friends and teammates, it really is helpful. Um, if nothing else, it's great to have at least a little bit of rolling footage of yourself at every belt level. It'll just be fun one day if you train long enough to go back and be like, oh, this is what I look like as a blue belt. This is what I look like as a purple belt and and see your progress. But on a more practical reason, you'll just notice so many things about your game that you don't notice when you're inside your body. It just everything feels one way and then you see it and it looks different. And usually it's always disappointing. Like you usually it it looks less impressive than it felt or you notice more things off with how you look than what it felt like at the time. But it's really good because then you really you're like, oh okay, well I'm not squatting my legs enough when I do standing passing and I'm leaning over way too much. You may not feel like it and if you pass you get kind of a false positive because you you got around the guard so I mean hey like who cares, right? I mean you finish the pass but as you get better and better people will punish you for the mistakes you got away with earlier so it's just good if you see that you're leaning over then the next time you do it you're like all right this is a pass I'm good at but I'm just gonna squat and rely on my quads a little bit more and you can really really refine what you're working on I do think it's a little easier to watch rolling footage from good grapplers first I would absolutely recommend doing that before you try to watch your own rolling footage too intensely if anybody wants to watch rolling footage right now there is really great rolling footage on the gold town mma youtube channel they have um gi rolling footage from shanji hibero's school in austin texas and great no gi rolling footage from b team in austin texas and brazilian fight factory in austin texas there's basically videos every day um, flow grappling has good rolling footage on there um, they're kind of old school websites but 
Marcelo Garcia and Braulio Estima have these websites, MG in Action and Estima in Action. And the really, really great thing about those, I know they're kind of old school, but they have this feature called In Action. And basically, if you have a certain technique that you want to learn, you can type in the name of that technique and it will show you every single instance of Marcelo Garcia or Braulio Estima hitting that technique in a role at their gym, like basically ever that's been filmed. In Marcelo's case, there's high five digit numbers of videos on there. Uh, Braulio has thousands as well. So if you want to watch like a hook sweep, I keep talking about butterfly guard on here. Marcelo's one of the best ever at that. If you type that in on his website, you're going to get Thousands of results of him doing that in live roles. You can filter it by gi or no gi, and you can just hit the inaction tab, and it will play every instance of him doing that in the gym, just back to back to back. And I think seeing the same technique in rapid succession like that over and over and over is a really helpful way to kind of drill it into your body. I don't know how many people listening are familiar with the concept of mental reps, but if you visualize yourself doing a physical movement enough times, it does actually help when you do the physical movement for real in real life. And there is some, there's science behind this, um, I don't know if I feel like digging up the science to post it in the in the description. I think it's pretty well understood within um, athletic circles. If if anybody wants to uh, get the research, I guess I could look for it and try and post it if anyone's curious enough. But I think if you Google like mental reps and athletic performance or something like that, you should be able to find something. So the last thing I wanted to talk about with breaking down footage is this idea of inside position. And inside position could be a month-long series of podcasts. I'm sure people have made entire instructionals on it that you can find on BJJ Fanatics. The idea is everywhere. Tom Halpin even has an awesome podcast called Inside Position. I see a lot of people that have heard this term but don't quite know what it means. So when you're watching rolling footage, a great way to start to figure out what it is, is inside position is just basically anytime your body parts are inside your training partners or your opponents. So and there's really obvious cases like in butterfly guard, your feet are inside their legs, your feet have inside position. Uh, if you have an underhook, you have the inside position between their ribs and their armpit. It's it's more obvious in these like very overt positions, a body lock. Well, like you're right up against them and your arms are around their body. Their arms are clearly way around the outside of you. If they were to like reach up, they'd be hugging you. So their arms are clearly outside of your body and your arms are clearly around the inside track of their body. But there's some other examples that are a little more obscure, right? So inside position can really be anything. If you have a guillotine, your hand or your wrist has the inside position between their chin and their chest. 
if you have a Kimura grip, even though you're like reaching over the top of their arm, it may not feel like you're going inside or like underneath anything, but even though you're reaching over the top, your your hand, your wrist, forearm still ends up inside the position of their elbow, bicep, and forearm. So you still are getting inside position, but just through like an unconventional way. If you're standing up and you're doing a leg drag pass, even though you're moving their leg around your body and you're outside of their legs, you might be thinking, I don't have any inside position here. I don't know what people are talking about. I'm outside of their body right here. Yes, you are, but if you leg drag their right leg across your right hip, your right knee is in between their two knees. So your right knee still has inside position on their legs. And if you project your weight forward, your head probably has inside position between their shoulders or between, you know, their ear and their shoulder. So inside position can really apply to anything. And in any, in any given situation or movement, both people are probably going to have a little bit of inside position on each other, but kind of whoever has more tends to be in the driver's seat. So that's one last thing I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm going to save some more of the inside position stuff for another episode. But anyways, I just really wanted to touch on the heel hook thing and the tape studying thing. Um, yeah, the next episode is going to be kind of on some MMA stuff, some like MMA friendly jujitsu stuff. I, I, I got a request to do some of that. Um, so yeah, uh, this was a longer episode than I thought, but this was a fun one and I am learning how to do some conversations here. So hopefully I should start having some guests on sooner than later. And thanks so much everyone for listening. Hope you all have an awesome week and yeah, love everyone. Appreciate everyone a lot. Thanks so much and peace.